Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. I, I think everyone should take a pause before they even start making a film as to thinking about who the audience might be for the film and how big that is and what the, you know, what the success of that, relative success of that might be based on the size of that audience. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 124. And it is brought to you by the Doc Lifer Elite Mastermind, an exclusive weekly mastermind group where filmmakers come together for support, guidance, and empowerment to make their best doc films and lead their best doc lives. As you listen to today's episode, we are kind of in the middle of awards season, right? You've got the Independent Spirit Awards, the IDA Awards, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, although somehow the Golden Globes still don't have a category for Best Documentary, just to name a few. And certainly some major film festivals showcasing documentaries have been in play these days, like Sundance and Slamdance. And by the way, another quick shout out to fellow doc lifer Josh Davidsberg for getting his film into this year's Slamdance. We all know that film festivals play no small part in getting your film into a position of possible nominations for the aforementioned awards. We hear a lot from doc lifers that they'd like more information on film festivals. We see you talking about it on the TDL Community Facebook group. It's not a surprise. The film festival has long been an important and very gratifying part of the documentary filmmaker's life. See what I did there? Not unlike when you received that letter for being awarded a grant for your documentary, a similar notification from a festival can be an important part of our journey. It's some much-needed appreciation for all of the hard work that we've put in on our doc films. It's a feeling of recognition and acceptance into a community of our peers, and often a community that is difficult to get connected with. Which is why I'd like to talk with you today about some best practices for getting your doc into a film festival. So why don't we get right into five tips for getting your documentary into a festival. Number one, give a good hook. Have you made your documentary all on your own in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal? Did you follow goats making a once-in-a-lifetime journey from their lives in Tibet to their sacrificial deaths in Nepal? If so, Film festival people need to know this. And also, if this was the case, did you supply the festival with some awesome up-close and personal photos of these goats on the mountain path? Or some behind-the-scenes footage of you as the one-person crew filming amidst hundreds of these goats? You get my drift here. Give a festival not only a reason to be hooked by you and your subject matter, but give them ways in which they might be able to promote you and your film in future social media platforms. Number two, give good sound. We've talked about this many times throughout the life of this podcast. I've talked about this in our mastermind group, on our community Facebook page, during one-on-one -on -one consultations. The importance of sound. Or as I like to often say, sound over picture, which of course pisses off a lot of camera people, but that's fine. I'm a camera person myself. And you know what? It's the reality. Audiences are far more likely to forgive bad video than they are bad audio. 
Film festival programmers are the same way. If they're five minutes into your film and struggling with shoddy audio, they're going to move on to the next festival applicant before you can say Werner Herzog, because, you know, Werner always has good audio. Make audio one of the absolute priorities of your filmmaking. And if you do have anything questionable audio-wise, get yourself a damn good post-audio person. There are many out there. I can even recommend a few. Number three, enter festivals early. That's right, enter them often and enter them early. Festival submissions nowadays can cost anywhere from $25 to $75 US a pop. That's not fun. And don't even get me on where and how that money exactly gets used. But that's, you know, but it is just the way it is. Festivals are a business. We should be aware of this, but we should also accept this, embrace this, understand this. Most festivals have an early bird price, so this can be a good thing for you, especially if you're submitting to a great number of them. The costs incurred rise quickly when you're entering film festivals. But entering early also makes your film easier to program around. Think about it. If a festival programmer is getting a submission late in the application process, it simply is more difficult to squeeze in an entry than it is to build around one. Last thing I want to note here, don't just enter as many festivals as possible. It will get expensive and it will be a waste of yours and a festival's time if you haven't carefully looked through the guidelines as well as the types of films the festival typically runs. Number four, evoke emotion. It's one thing for a documentary film to look good on paper. Just think of how many great ideas you or I have had probably in the past year alone. But paper is paper for a reason. You can write on it. You cannot film on it. Your doc must be able to evoke emotion. Simply put, your film cannot all come from the head. It must come from and must have heart. Find your voice and have something important to say, Doc Lifer. Festival programmers are looking to be moved. They want to laugh, cry, be inspired, or be angry. Not at you necessarily, but at, say, an injustice or climate change. The best way in which you can do this is to make sure that you have injected your voice. And I don't mean literally as in your narration. I mean your voice as in the way in which you tell us that you have something to say. And make your story personal. Give your audience something or someone that they can personalize and latch on to. Be connected with. Be emotional with or about. Number five, use film freeway. I think that by now, most of us realize that the easiest, most straightforward way to submit your film to a host of different festivals is by using the Film Freeway platform. Film Freeway literally streamlines the entire process, not only for you, the filmmaker, but also the entity receiving your application on the other end, the festival programmer. The fact is, most festivals are now tied into Film Freeway, and you should be too. There is just little way around it. It is the number one way to enter film festivals. So why wouldn't you use the platform that most of the industry is using? So there you have it, Doc Lifer. Five tips for getting your documentary into a festival. If you've got some tips of your own, feel free to share them with all of us in the Documentary Life Community Facebook group, or you can email me directly at chris at barongfilms.com. I always greatly appreciate hearing from you.
Anyone who is a listener of this show knows how important the idea of community is to me. Discovering and nurturing a documentary community has always been at the heart of the documentary life. And last year, as an extension to this idea of community, we started our first ever Doc Lifer Mastermind group, a group led by Steph and myself that met weekly for one and a half hours for three months to discuss all assets of documentary filmmaking and documentary living. The response to that first Doc Lifer Mastermind group was overwhelming, which to be honest, was kind of what I thought might happen. I myself have been a part of mastermind groups and have experienced firsthand the benefits that come from being a part of a tightly knit group, all with similar interests, all holding one another accountable for meeting their goals. It's the type of supportive and inspirational engagement that you really can't get anywhere else. And so now, building upon the success of that first mastermind group, we are excited to announce our next mastermind group, which begins on Monday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here in the U.S. The Doc Lifer Mastermind Group is a group that holds one another accountable for weekly goals. It inspires and gives us all confidence to do our projects and to lead our Doc lives. It is a community of like-minded individuals, all sharing their same passion documentary filmmaking. Just as was the case in our last group, this second group will consist of four to six carefully screened and selected doc lifers who will be able to discuss anything they'd like to discuss, either about a current doc project or their own doc life. Spaces are pretty limited. There are currently just three spots remaining. We want to make sure that you get the most out of your doc life or mastermind experience. And we know from our own experiences with masterminds that this kind of number will maximize that success. So if you think that you might like to participate in this next Doc Life or Mastermind, please go to the documentarylife.com slash mastermind and fill out our application. It's from these applications that we select those Doc Lifers who we think will most benefit from a mastermind group and who we think will make the best fit for this sort of supportive group. Again, the Doc Life or Mastermind group begins on Monday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. To apply, go to the documentarylife.com slash mastermind. Steph and I hope you'll be a part of our next amazing group. John Reese is a critically acclaimed filmmaker, author, and media strategist. His experience releasing his documentary feature, Bomb It, with a hybrid strategy was the inspiration for writing Think Outside the Box Office, the first step-by-step -step guide for filmmakers to distribute and market their films. He has given workshops and spoken at conferences and festivals throughout the world. He has worked with and consulted for Paramount Pictures, Screen Australia, Film Independent, Creative Scotland, the South Australian Film Corporation, and numerous film schools and festivals. He is the year-round distribution and marketing lab leader at the IFP Filmmaker Labs. Reese also contributes to Filmmaker Magazine, Huffington Post, IndieWire, Screen Daily, Movie Maker Magazine, and other publications. You may remember, Doc Lifer, we had John Reese on the program back in Season 1. He also has conducted a webinar for us, which has since been placed in the archives of our Documentary Academy. 
We talked mostly about distribution platforms for the independent filmmaker, a lot, of course, which was also discussed in his book, Think Outside the Box Office. But today, I'd like to discuss something that you, John, touched upon at the end of our webinar, which is you were delving heavily into marketing and using online marketing tools and tactics and and community outreach and local partnerships with grassroots organizations. You were using these tools to help filmmakers connect with the right audiences and the right distributors for their work. How does that sound, John? And welcome to the Documentary Life podcast again. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And um, so, yeah, it's like you have to, you know, I'll just go. Every film is different. Yeah. And every film needs its own strategy. So I always start this off since a lot of your audience or people making their first film, you always have to keep in mind on everything, what your goals are. Like I always just like to hammer that because, um, that's super important and what your goals are will determine what your strategy is, not just for the distribution, but also for the marketing. So, and then, yeah, I would, there's a variety of different techniques, mostly boiling into, you know, social media outreach press in terms of marketing. There's other things you can do as well, but you know, those would be the, the, the three major buckets, I would say. And um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, we can talk about them um, individually, you know, in turn kind of a thing or like what would be what do you feel like would be the most fruitful? Well, I'll, what I think what would be I think I mean, all all of the above for, for sure. And, and I think I'll, I'll start with a pretty softball question, which is how early on and maybe explain a little bit the importance of how early on we doc filmmakers should be considering something like the mar- our marketing and distribution strategy and, and why it's important to be thinking of these things early on. But I think it's important to think about it early on. I, I think everyone should take a pause before they even start making a film mm. as to thinking about, you know, depending on what the goals are, if all you want to do is make a film about the subject and, you know, gangbusters, no matter what, um, great, you know, just understand that you know, you should at least consider potentially who the audience might be for the film and how big that is and what the, you know, what the success of that relative success of that might be based on the size of that audience. Mm. And, um, you know, and it's kind of a known at the beginning, but you know, there's certain things that you can kind of suss out and get a sense of, you know, right away, you know, and you shouldn't just be making a film for people who like documentary films. It's probably too small of an audience to really sustain you know, making films, you know, or, or, or making the film. Like you really have to think about who else besides the people who like documentary films might like this film. And every film again is different. Like you have to like, and, and I would start like, for instance, um, you know, as a consulting producer on desolation center, which is a film about these desert music shows in the um in california in the early 1980s and you know people who love each of the bands that were in the shows people who love punk rock in general people like alternative music you know so that they're they're getting a fair amount of support from people within the music industry for the film you know but there's specific but it's not all of the music industry it's certain specific 
types of people. Yeah. And they've been, you know, they started their social media early because they did an early crowdfund campaign. They mm. started their audience engagement early, mm. you know, and they've been a really good job about keeping that going throughout the, through the life cycle of the film. For other people, that's hard. You know, it's like you, you know, one of the things about social media, you don't really want to start it until you can keep it going. So, because it makes no sense to start it up and then let it die or yeah. do a lot of work and then let it die. And, but just having a concept of who the audience is at the very beginning. And then somewhere in the beginning, middle ish, like if you're doing a film that there's potential organizational partners involved, mm -hmm. you can start reaching out to those people to say you're working on this film. Is it something that's interesting to them? Can they get involved? You might even want to interview some of the principals, you know, make them feel like they're involved in the process. Um, and depending again on your goals and what you're trying to do with the film. Um, and that will help lay the groundwork for doing outreach later. Mm. Uh, it can be a bit of a minefield because there's politics within many of the niches out there. Um, yeah. and especially like health niches, environmental niches, yeah. you know, there's, you know, so you, you want to be careful about like who part of it is sussing out the landscape and seeing who, you know, are the bigger players who are the medium sized players who are the regional players so that, you know, you are strategic about how you approach your organizational potential organizational partner. So that all being said, I don't think, you know, so here's a couple things. I don't think it's super important to start social media on the film early. Mm. You, and the only reason to do it early is a, you like it and B you feel like you can talk about your subject for a while. Mm. And if you feel like you can talk about your subject without necessarily talking about and showing, blowing all your media from your, your film, mm. you know, that's a good way to create audience as long as there's an online audience who wants to be engaged around that. Mm. So that's also something to suss out. But the other thing is, the other thing I wanted to say is that at least no later start thinking about distribution and marketing than like rough cut. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, if that's if you're starting, if you're thinking about this when you're entering festivals, yeah. like that's like the back, the the last last. You know, if you're thinking about this after your festival premiere, you've already blown a lot of opportunities. Uh, Let's put it that way. Right. right. So, um, you know, somewhere between generally, especially for people who are early you know, or earlier in their careers, really do it in post so that you're, because you can, people make blunders in applying for festivals and their festival strategy all the time yeah. that could be prevented, you know? Yeah, 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 right. Something that you mentioned in this is the idea of partnerships. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. What do we mean when we talk about partnerships? Who should we be partnering with and, and how can they help us in our marketing or our distribution uh, later on? Well, the purpose of partnerships is essentially partners, organizational partners. Um, there's a couple different kind of partners, but the main kind um, are organizational partners. And those people generally in your film, if they exist, have a connection to your audience. Yeah. Um, and so they have email lists, they have website, they have social media. And because they already have an audience that trusts them, and this is where it gets 
tricky mm. is they already have a relationship with their audience and it's a matter of whether they want to open up that relationship to you. Yeah. Right. So, and some films, you know, were, you know, are great at this and, and do, I'm about, I think I'm about to start working on a project advising them on their second stage of release. Um, cause they've done like a lot of amazing community screenings. Yeah. Um, but that's, trying to figure out what to do next because they have a fair amount they have a wide variety of partners okay. um and how to utilize those partners for the re- next part so initially you know partners can you know a help as i said interview maybe they're good you know maybe you need them for subjects for your interview or connecting to some of the people that you need to interview but in terms of the release of the film you know they can help you know send out they can help organize screenings out of their own chapters if they have chapters they can encourage their um their members to organize screenings Mm -hmm. you know they can you know help you know if you're doing a crowdfund campaign and they're really supportive they can help get the word out um generally partners you know and it depends on how much how you use partners depends on how involved they're going to be in your in your campaign Mm -hmm. there's different value asks based on your goals and you need to prioritize those, you know, if you have an, a partner who will do multiple things, then that's great. But if you have a partner that's going to do one thing, what is that one thing that they're willing to do? Mm. So doing one tweet isn't going to be that effective. Um, having you in a, in, in a um, monthly email blast that has lots of other things is more effective. Yeah. Having a dedicated email that's only about your film is super effective. You know, and having multiples of any of those things is also super effective. Doing, you know, posts together, you know, doing some sort of live, you know, Facebook Live or Instagram Live with them. You know, there's all kinds of things that you can do. Mm. And it just depends on, you know, what makes sense for them, what makes sense for you and where you are at in your release. So um, and you want to think about what are the high value aspects of your release that most are most in line with your goals and then that's how you want to organize your partnership involvement your 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 organizational partner involvement mm. so there's other kinds of partners there's like influencers are essentially you yeah. know and, and organizations are influencers but there's also you know there's influencers they necessarily you would i wouldn't call them a organizational partner they, they're just influencers but there's you know people who have the ear of the your audience and you definitely also want to connect with those people as well mm. as far as other partnerships besides organizations there's businesses and that that gets into sponsorship basically right and of course uh, there's differences between sponsorship and the partnership yeah you know so i mean there's similarities but yeah. It, generally most organizations aren't going to give you money but they'll give you support mm. whereas what you're looking from from businesses is potentially to give you money yeah. you know for your release right. and then it's a matter of like what's in it for them you know and, and so a lot of this goes into and this is something that I work with my clients like what are, what are you willing to give these these organizations and or business partners and what are you asking in return and making sure that it's a win-win situation. And especially you have to approach, um, these organizations, um, from the viewpoint that you are providing more value to them in a sense than they're providing to you because they're, 
they're the ones with the connection to the audience. They're the ones who have the trust of the audience. They're the ones who, you know, that are taking a bigger risk in a sense than you are. A lot of us, John, are uncomfortable with the notion of selling ourselves. But nowadays, to be an independent documentary filmmaker, I, I believe it's critical that we learn at least some basic ways in which to even begin branding ourselves and our films. So maybe you can give us some ways in which we can begin doing so, and or maybe even how we first get over this uh, sort of fear of selling ourselves. And in fact, that uh, you know, there is a need as artists nowadays, as indie, independent doc filmmakers, to be able to learn how to, to be able to brand ourselves in our films. It's hard, because I think most filmmakers, and this is a generalization, but most filmmakers, I would say, are generally introverts. Yeah. And, you know, just by nature. And so, and I'm essentially one as well, you yeah. know, and I feel all your pain. <laughs> Everyone else's <laughs> pain, I feel it. You know, and, you know, what you have to, you know, think about, like, what can you find joyous in, you know, kind of, and maybe don't look at it as marketing yourself, but just kind of connecting with a natural audience. Yeah. Like, who is that audience of your, you know, who is out there that is, you know, that, you know, wants to be connected with that you want to connect with. And just, you know, and it's hard. It's a tough slog, you know, in, in, especially in this kind of very noisy, crowded landscape, yeah. that media crowded landscape, you know. But, you know, just find people that you are like-minded with to share their material, you know, make it kind of something natural that is something natural that you do, yeah. you know, and um, slowly, you know, develop your audience that way. In terms of the film, you know, it's that's why it's easier to develop an audience as a person, as an individual person, than yeah. for a film. Yeah. I mean, very few people like film pages these days on Facebook, and you know, um, yeah. you know, but you can get them to do that. But so it's you have to do it for both, essentially. Um, I'm starting a project now, and the 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 artist who has um, who I'm doing. Um, the documentary about already has a Facebook page and I'm even, I don't know whether I'm going to do a Facebook page for the film. I yeah. might just use their Facebook page. Uh, and, um, because it's like they, at least for now, they, they're the ones that already are, that's the audience, the yeah. initial audience already. Yeah. Um, that's the super core of the audience. Yeah. You know, why it's going to be very difficult to get those people to come over you know, eventually they might, but it's going to be harder right. to get those people to come over to a new and follow a new Facebook page. Yeah, they're or, already engaged in this other page. Right. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't always happen. So it's, and the thing is, is that now because of the emphasis on paid advertising mm. and paid social or not the emphasis, it's now that the, the social platforms want you to pay to reach your audience. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to do anything organically, yeah. you know, through organic social media. Yeah. And the the advantage of that is that if you have money and you've budgeted money for paid social media advertising, you know, you don't have to worry as much about building up an audience in advance. But it is good to have at least some bait. I did a fair amount of research on this recently yeah. and the people I spoke with. It's good to have a thousand to two thousand people to get like some sense of what that audience looks like, so yes. that it makes your targeting a little bit more effective. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. 
Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about that, John. How does social media fit into all of this marketing? And and, and I ask you that from from the p- perspective of maybe for even the uninitiated, where on earth do we start with this landscape of using social media for our films? Um, well, I would start just using it yourself. Yeah, you know, and developing your own, you know, your own audience on Facebook and whichever platform you prefer you know, and makes most sense for you. Um, and also potentially if you're going to have a consistent audience, what that audience potentially uses, uses right. do, they, do they use Facebook? And it's pretty easy to link. If you do post on Instagram now, it'll link to your Facebook account. Yes. Like I have it set up. So I have a personal Instagram and a personal Facebook. Yeah. I link those. And then I have a business Instagram and a business Facebook and I link those and I'll post some stuff on one and not on the other. Sometimes I'll post the same thing on both depending on what it is. It's a little bit difficult to learn how to use Facebook business manager, but it's not impossible. If you get really good at it, then you can hire yourself out because everyone needs someone who knows how to use Facebook business manager who will work freelance and not too expensively. Uh. Um, You know, so hint, hint, if you have a you know, if you have some hang, if you have some love of data and numbers and feel like you're good at that, mm. there's a definite job niche waiting for you. And if you develop those skills, let me know because I'm always looking for people like that wow. <laughs> um, to work on projects. But it's really in order, to, like, I don't think you should go out and just boost your posts like through the basic through the Facebook front end. I would always recommend doing it through Business Manager. Because that's where you can track things. That's where you can target specific audiences. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty robust. And, um, but it's, you know, but it takes a certain amount of knowledge. I mean, I, we did, I worked on a film last year. My whole 2018 was working just on one film. And I think we had ended up by the end of the year and we had an ad person on board and an ad budget and, you know, relatively modest ad budget. And we ended up and we created a fair amount of social content and we ended up having, I think, a half million, 100% video views by the time the campaign was done. I think something like a 20 million reach, you know, um, it was like pretty crazy numbers. Um, And how many people were working on that Facebook business and to be able to be doing this? Well, the, it was one person manager. handling the, the manager, and he wasn't doing it full time. He was yeah. doing it as a part time. Most you don't need to do it full time. You can do yeah. multiple campaigns okay. part time. Okay. Um, but then we also had we were also creating extra content, new content for social media. Mm. So, and we probably created a lot, maybe more than we needed to. Yeah. But part of the the social, there was a something about the audience when we did some audience surveys of the film early on. They wanted to know what was. The film was about the origins of the Baha'i faith and people wanted to know what was going on now. So we ended up kind of, you know, I talked to the filmmakers and said, like, this could be kind of a a bit of a transmedia campaign in which we shoot contemporary people talking about this. And that's part of what promotes the film and lives on social media. So and so that's what we did. We created a decent amount of content. And so that was you know, that was a pretty robust effort in, in that regard. And here's another thing. If you're pursuing this path, make sure you budget not just for a trailer, but also for a 30 second spot and a 15 second spot. Just so it, you even just cut down versions of your trailer mm. because no one wants it's no one's going to watch in an ad, a 
uh, three minute piece are going to watch a 15 second piece of content or a 30 second piece of content. Mm. So try to make that part of your trailer package when you're creating your trailer or doing it yourself. You, you, you mentioned the, the idea of, of the boost post option in Facebook. And I think that that's, um, I mean, that's a mistake that I know I have made. It's a mistake a lot of, uh, I think a lot of our listeners have made. And I've seen it in our TDL community Facebook group page where people are wondering, look, how do we, how can I market, you know, my film or my film's page more? Is it, or, or even, you know, the trailer you just mentioned, uh, do I simply use the boost post? Because that doesn't seem to garner much of anything. The only time, like I recently boosted a post through my the the boost post thing, yeah. but it was someone else's. It's because we tried to create an ad with it, and because it was even though I was in the article, hmm. like just like the, if I try to boost this podcast, yeah, because it's your content now. Facebook doesn't allow me to boost it anymore. Wow. Through Business Manager, I could boost it on my page, and then hence we don't get the metrics, and we just did it to see like what kind of reach we would get with it. But if it's your own original content, yeah. I would strongly recommend finding someone who knows how to use Facebook Business Manager, make that part of your, you know, marketing plan. I would that's I would make that as, you know, basically a social ad person should be probably more a part of your um, should be if you had a choice between organic social media mm. and ad based social media, I would go with the ads. Nowadays, um, or, especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just you, you have to, you know, if you don't know how to do that, just like if you don't know how to edit, you hire an editor. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is the, goes back to the whole thing that distribution and marketing are underfunded, under budgeted. Um, people <laughs> don't budget it, budget for it in their budgets and don't save money for it and you know it's you really have to think about maybe it's not 50 50 like i said in my book but it's you know somewhere in there you have to allot 30 percent you know of your budget for this and unless you're you know because it's going to be it's not fun to be doing all this work by yourself at the end when you've already finished the whole film <laughs> yeah isn't that right and i feel all your pain out there i've done it so yeah. I know, I know what it's like. Yeah. What are some of the common mistakes you see filmmakers uh, making when they're trying to use social media? What are some of the mistakes that are happening out there that we should know about? I would say the main mistake would be to rely on, um, well, the biggest mistake would be to not use social media. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, second yeah. biggest mistake would be to rely on organic social media. Although within certain communities, that can also really work well. Like some communities, you can get organic engagement going. And if you keep it going, it can, but you really essentially, eventually, you know, have to learn how to pay for ads because eventually Facebook's going to come along or Insta, it's the same thing. They're going to come along and say, we're not letting you talk to your audience anymore unless you pay us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because early on in, of course, we're in Cambodia working, uh, we're in Cambodia finishing work on our, our documentary film, which we've been working on for over five years now, Elvis of Cambodia. And very early on, we ran a Kickstarter campaign to first get us over here and begin mm -hmm. working on the film. And at the time, Facebook hadn't changed a bunch of their algorithms. And the amount of organic 
organic uh, interaction that we were having with our Facebook page was amazing, and uh, we were able to garner and you know uh, a lot of activity on the Facebook page and a lot of likes very early on in the film's journey, and that's you know within the first first you know year or two of the film, and I would say the last three years the amount of organic activity and the amount of likes that we've garnered has been nothing compared to that first year, and it's because of the changes that Facebook has made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, John, what are we leaving out of this conversation here in in marketing that you feel like, Chris, you know, your doc filmmakers need to know about this and that maybe we haven't talked about yet? You know, conferences maybe, which go along with partnerships and and in a sense that even before you think, if there's conferences that relate to the subject of your film, consider going to them before your film's finished. You know, and that's a way to network with people and also to establish relationships for going to those conferences when the film is finished. Yeah. You know, and and maybe not screening the entire film there, maybe screening being there as a speaker when the film's done and showing a clip from the film. And, you know, and um, and there could be multiple conferences. So I would say that's that's a decent chunk. And also, we haven't talked about press that much. You know, some people, some filmmakers are pretty good about even going out and calling up journalists and getting press themselves. Mm. Um, how much you pay for publicity and when you pay for publicity is, you know, tricky. There are some publicists that work, you know, for a little bit less than traditional Whenever you, if you go to a major festival, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And it depends on how press important your film is, or Mm. like, is your film going to, is your film a film that's going to garner press or not? And so not to worry about like for all of these avenues, again, it's a matter of like, here's the way, you know, who is your audience? And then how does that audience perceive information? Right. And how do you connect? So some 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 people get it through press. Not everyone. Yeah. Other people, people get it through social their information from social media. Yeah. How? Through whom? Through their friends, referrals or from pages and organizations that they follow. You know, some people get it through email. I guess the one thing we haven't talked about is email and the importance of building your email list. Yeah. And that still trumps social media in terms of conversion. In fact, we had so, um, the CEO of uh, ConvertKit on the program a short while ago talking all about email marketing. And that will go hand in hand with this episode for sure. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, your website and having a place and where you can convert people. It's also important to have a website that provides engagement in some way or gives people a way to interact with the film so that when, um, you know, because what you're doing with your Facebook ads is most likely driving them to your website and trying to get people to go to the website and potentially sign up for your email list. Right. You know, hopefully you've done that, like, because you could send people to your website. Why am I sending them to my website? What are you trying to what are you trying to get from them? You know, what's what's the goal? So early on, it should be, you know, getting people to sign up for an email list. You know, you know, if you can get people to engage with you on social media, that's great. And you can keep that going. But, you know, email lists are still pretty important. John, how can someone reach out to you if they're interested in consultation services? 
So they can go, I actually have a new website. It's called eight above. It's the number eight and then eight above a B O V E. I'm sure you'll, will you be able to have a link? Yeah. We'll link to any on. of this information up on our, on the show notes for this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So they can go there and there's a form, you know, if they go to the distribution and marketing page, yeah. you know, there's a form that they can fill out. Also people can just, you know, email me at john at eight above.com and you know, but it's better if you can fill out the form, that's, better because I'm the first thing I'm going to do if you reach out to me via email is say, Hey, can you fill out the form? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> so, it allows me to have all the information for all my clients, you know, possible clients and then clients in one place. And I can take notes there and it's all just, you know, it's, it's all there. John Reese, it's been a, been a pleasure having you on the program. It's always an insightful conversation and a lot of doc filmmakers uh, gain great value from your, your words of wisdom, if you will. So thank you so much again for being on The Documentary Life. Thank you so much, Chris. Happy to. And don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in our next Doc Life Elite Mastermind group on Monday, March 2nd. For details and to apply, go to thedocumentarylife.com slash mastermind.